Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Groove, the Supermodified podcast that uh, we have had so much fun with over the last uh, number of months here this season. My name is Tom Baker, and I want to thank, as always, the sponsors who help bring this show every week uh, and make it possible for us to do this. IPC Indie, Jeff West and his staff out there at IndiePerformanceComposites.com. Also Skips Fish Fry and, of course, JNS Paving. And I am really excited about this week's show for a couple of reasons. First of all, I get to break some news here in a moment. Second of all, I get the opportunity to... Uh, tell uh, what I think is a really cool story that's sort of a connection to a past guest that we had on the program. And third of all, because Danny Kay, Danny Kapazinski, joined me uh, for an interview, and I'm looking forward to bringing that to you as well. So we will start with some breaking news. Camden Proud is uh, off traveling the world this week, (laughs) jet-setting once again, that young man is, uh, celebrating his birthday, his 21st, and his dad, Tim Proud's 50th. So one of them is 50, and the other one is now old enough to legally consume alcohol. Uh, Happy birthday to both Cam and Tim. And Cam may be on the road, but he broke some news, and I want to share it with you. Because uh, I'm really excited about this. Seekonk Speedway actually announced this a while ago. And I just noticed that Cam uh, shared it as well. Uh, So a lot of you probably will already see this. But I want to share some thoughts about it. And then uh, hopefully Camden will be able to be back on next week. And uh, we'll talk about it together. But Seekonk Speedway is bringing back the ISMA Supermodifieds this year. And I can't. I can't wait to uh, see how this goes over. This is going to be a great show, I'm sure. Uh, It's the 75th anniversary season for Seekonk Speedway, and I love that track. I absolutely love that track. Uh, On Open Wheel Wednesday, on July 1st of 2020, uh, the 350 Smack Tour, Super Modified Atlantic Charter Tour, are going to be a part of that card along with a tri-track open modified series, which is one of the most competitive modified tours in New England, if not the most competitive modified tour in New England outside of the Wheeling Tour. Uh, tri-track, a great series. They're going to be headlining. The Nema Light uh, Dave Steele Memorial race will be run that night as well. And, of course, um, the 350 Smack Tour will be there. And then the Isma Supers coming to Seekonk as part of the Boston Louis Classic on Wednesday, August the 12th of 2020, along with the NEMA Midgets and NEMA Lights. And I got to tell you, I'm just really excited about uh, Seekonk bringing back the Isma Supers. And I know that Isma kind of had a down year this year. I'm really hoping 
that with an announcement like this and the fact that Seekonk is in New England in the heart of kind of where Isma is, uh, you know, I'm really hoping it's a midweek show. I'm hoping to see some of the Oswego guys make the trip there for that show. And uh, hopefully some of the Midwest guys, if there's any that can do that, um, make the trip as well. I'd like to see a great car count for this because Seekonk is a great track. The Supers run really well there, put on a great show, and I'm sure that uh, the 350 Supers will also put on a really good show when they are there as part of Open Wheel Wednesday. Uh, and so I want to uh, thank Seekonk Speedway as a super modified fan for giving the Isma Supers another shot. It's been a while, and... Uh, for them to run there so i'm i'm really excited for them going there okay next topic cool story and i'm i don't i'm not gonna kind of go into all the details of this story but i want to share the i want to share the basics of it because i love it when we have a situation where one of our our legends one of our older racers is able to kind of relate to um, how many of the super modified fans still are really geeked out about them? <laughs> and so we had one of our racers, Captain Dates, who is, as you all know, I'm sure by now, is rebuilding his 1977 track championship winning car. The chassis was found. And through a process of connections was uh, returned to Kemp and the Dates family. And Kemp has been a busy beaver over the last uh, several weeks. And a lot of people have pitched in with different parts and offering to, you know, do various tasks of various pieces of this restoration. It's been just an absolutely fantastic thing to watch and, and really heartwarming in a lot of ways and very exciting. And I think my favorite part of this is seeing how excited Kemp is. And Kemp is a very humble man. Kemp is, is a man who, you know, was never necessarily the most outgoing, not to say I'm friendly, of course, he's a very friendly guy. But just kind of in the background, a little more introverted perhaps than some others. And, you know, Kemp, when he retired from racing, he kind of just walked away. And although he only lives maybe 40 minutes or so from the Oswego Speedway, you know, he really hadn't had a great interest in being a weekly fan or walking around the pits all the time, anything like that. He's just kind of been... Um, bit away well he he got the chassis back but then the more he looked at it the more excited he got so he has been he's been working really hard on this race car and this past week his niece jody passed along an interesting story kemp was in syracuse chasing some parts for the car. And when he went into the place of business, 
to pick up the parts that he was chasing. The gentleman at the counter inquired about, you know, what the parts were for, and he told him a super modified, and that drew the curiosity of uh, the, the the counter worker and started asking Kemp some questions and you know making making it very clear that his dad was a huge rocket fan and asked Kemp, I believe, where he lived. Kemp said, "Well, I live." near red creek now kemp at this point was just kind of playing coy and and uh having a little fun with this because obviously here's kempton dates the rocket man standing there and this you know this poor unsuspecting soul at the counter has no idea who he's talking to at this moment and the response was something along the lines of oh well that's where rocket man lives do you know him <laughs> and at that point kemp couldn't resist any longer and um said yes i do know him and i am he uh and (laughs) it was the coolest thing ever um i think that was really cool for kemp that uh you know again somebody had expressed that you know my dad that's all i ever talked about he was such a rocket fan and all of that and uh i love that i just love this whole project that's going on there's a scrapbook uh that's that's being uh, put together as we speak, and um, I'm excited to and humbled to be writing the forward for that book. And uh, you know, the more that that you watch this whole project play out, the more amazing it is. And again, every time I see pictures that Jody posts of Uncle Kemp working away on the car and and seeing the obvious joy that it's giving him to do this, um, this is what racing is about, and this is especially what supermodified racing is about. It's about family. It's about enjoying something together. It's about speed, obviously, all those things. But it's a big family, and it's been that way for as long as I've been going to the Oswego Speedway, and I'm sure it was well before then. And... It's just pretty cool. And for me, it's it's almost indescribable to watch all of this because when you're young and you're going to the racetrack and you're watching brave men and women race cars, they become your heroes. And if you're so fortunate enough as to meet one or more of those heroes, then they become your friends. And that's really what um, it's like at Oswego. And I, it, it just blows me away to see the reaction that all of this is getting. And like I said, just to see the joy that it's bringing to Kempton. And I'm looking forward, hopefully, if uh, the weather will cooperate while I'm up there over the holidays this year to getting out there and we'll try and see if we can't um, make it out there and maybe get some more sound with Kempton and uh, maybe a little video or something, and and we'll do what we can to kind of give you all an update uh, to the update on what's going on with everything. But the car looks like it's going to be done, uh, Lord willing, uh, certainly next year and maybe much earlier in the year than anticipated. Um, 
it's it's just very cool. So I wanted to pass along that story, and I know that I didn't probably do it great justice, but I I wanted to at least give you the gist of of that, uh, and, and to show you how not only how random life can be, but how the super modified fraternity, how big and wide it is, and how even you know forty years after whatever uh, Kemp stopped racing, um, not quite forty, I guess, but you know, still there are people out there, uh, who get excited and I'm, I'm glad that Kemp knows that now too, and hope that all the other drivers who are listening to this show, whether they're currently racing or they formerly raced, understand that they're in the same group, whether you're somebody's favorite or not, you're still a driver, you're still a part of it and you're still, you're making all the drivers that raced in my youth are in my mind forever, and they're and and I consider all of them to be special, whether I necessarily cheered for them or not, or even ever met them or not, um, because race car drivers are an amazingly special breed. And so I just thought all oh, that was cool. Thought you'd all enjoy hearing about it, and uh, gave me something to kind of open the show with, following the breaking news here, and I'm, we're gonna take a break when we come back uh we're going to talk to danny kapazinski danny and i go all the way back to when he was a little boy i um i met his dad through a mutual friend and um actually through joe hawksby i think and mike and i became really really good friends and spent a lot of time together uh just talking about racing, talking about Danny, <laughs> talking about Danny's racing. Um, and so Dan and I have always been friends. And it's amazing for me to see how Dan's obviously grown up and accomplished so much with his life, both on the track and off. So the opportunity to sit down with him and not just talk about current racing or even necessarily super modified racing, but to talk about him and talk about the past memories that we share together, but also um, to talk about the, the scope of his career, which has taken him beyond the swig and beyond the supers, was always appealing to me. And it just took a while to kind of put a, put everything together to make it happen. I hope you're all going to enjoy this when we come back. Um, we're going to hear from Danny Kapazinski. So stick around. Inside Groove continues right after this. Everyone knows Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles, and now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider, complete motorcycle air suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider air shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider, motorcycle air suspension at Strutmasters.com. Welcome back to Inside Groove as we continue. We've got Danny Kapazinski with us now, and uh, I have been really looking forward to having this conversation and sitting back with Danny K and talking some Oswego and some Super Modifieds and really talking to him about his career because uh, Danny and I go back a long, long way to when he was just a little kid racing, I think, Mike Rods at uh, the Syracuse Gettys Mike Rod Club. Danny, welcome to the program. I don't know that we 
ever had you on the original. Well, you know what? We did have it. I just remembered we did have you on the original Inside Groove. It was shortly, I think we did it from, I don't know if you came into the studio or I recorded you at uh, Joe Salvador's house, but I remember us talking about a quarter midget race indoors in Columbus, I think, or a go-kart race, one or the other. Yeah, probably quarter midgets. We were we were pretty hot and heavy into those uh, <laughs> those indoor winter nationals races back in the day. But I remember another time actually, and I don't know if it might have it must have been the Inside Groove show. But I remember calling in to talk to you from Columbus, Ohio. Okay, maybe you did. Been, yeah, yeah. I might have been ten or eleven years old then to talk about Mike Rods and and whatever else. But it's it's funny the the things you remember when your mind gets jogged a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I know it. Well, then of course uh, you and Dustin Gears and I did a, a kind of a a second generation of Inside Groove there on WZZZZZZZZZ in Fulton AM thirteen hundred there for a while. Um, and so you know, I think that was probably your first. Uh, racing radio gig because i think you were still in high school when we did that yeah yeah i would have been i must have been 16 <laughs> 16 17 years yeah. old I, it might have been just before i started racing at oswego so i probably was about 15 but yeah we spent we spent a lot of weeks in that, we that little studio and yeah. that was a really cool opportunity when you look back on it now the stuff we got to do and i remember uh it must have been 1999 or 2000 the year that um Bob Gutermount outraced Furlong to win the Mr. Supermodified, and I was, like, beyond excited because I think we managed to get, I think maybe Greg and Bob both came into the studio at the same time, or we at least caught interviews with both of them at the same time. Probably, but, yeah. You know, I think I think back on that now, and, you know, when you were 15 years old then, you didn't maybe you didn't think too much about it, but you look back on it, geez, 19 years later at the stuff you got to do when you were a teenager, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, so. it really was. I mean, that's, you know, it was fun being able to, um, to give you guys that opportunity and, and you know I feel the same way it's like you're when you're doing something you're just doing it you're not really you have no way to reflect on it until obviously time passes later and it's like wow really you know that was yeah. pretty awesome so um, okay so let's let's go all the way back because I like to start with this question because it it evokes some really interesting answers from from some of the uh, the guests what is your very first memory of the Oswego Speedway? Uh, that's real simple for me. The 1991 Classic. Uh, the year Joe Gozik won his first Classic. Um, I don't necessarily, and it's just one of those weird things where like, I don't really remember watching the cars go around the track, but I remember that was back in the day when they would still bring the driver across the track and they would go up and do the press conference up in the tower. Okay. And we had been for whatever reason, I think my dad knew, you know, that that was going to happen. So we were on the underside of the front grandstands, basically waiting for Joe to come across the track. And I remember seeing him, he must've crossed, he must've crossed at the first turn gate for whatever reason. And I remember him walking down underneath the bleachers towards where the stairs were. And I was, back where like the pizza booth was looking down towards the first turn and i remember just running at joe wow and him give him giving me a big hug under the grandstands because i and i just remember thinking that and he had the big trophy with him and ever since then i just remember thinking i don't care how much that race pays to win i want that big stinking trophy <laughs> <laughs> you know because here i am three foot whatever and six yeah. years old and the trophy is bigger than the man that just won the race. And like, that's my, that's like my first real vivid memory 
um, of being at Oswego Speedway was after Joe won that classic. So you were only six when that happened then? Yes. Wow. Yep. Okay. So yeah. I mean, my parents had taken me, you know, stories I'd always heard is, you know, I'd, I'd go there and spend maybe half the day, and then my grandmother would actually come probably before Conti time and pick me up and okay. take me back take me back down to East 2nd Street, you know, to kind of finish off the night. And I would always fall asleep in the grandstands, the typical stories of, sure. of kids going with their parents. But, um, and that was before six, but for whatever reason, that classic sticks out. And yeah, six years old, all the way back in 1991, the, the grandstands were still orange and green that year. That was the last year. Oh wow! That the that the stands were orange and the wall was silver. The next year, everything got painted to the same way it's been ever since. Now, were you so, already racing when you? Because did you start racing before six though? Um, I did. So I would have started. Yeah, so I was five. I started in 90. So I obviously was going to the races before then, but my first real memory okay. was definitely that moment. Well, I just but wanted yeah, to make sure. I, okay. started, I started at the fairgrounds in 1990 running Mike Rods. I think Regan Smith and I might have started. He might have started a year before me, or we started real close to the exact yeah. same time there in 90. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Okay, so because normally, obviously, when I ask that question, you know, it, it, it the driver's – little and hasn't you know hasn't driven yet it it sort of sparks that dream but you were already actually racing before you or at least before you remember being there so yeah i mean it's kind of different first uh i think it was my christmas of when i was four my dad actually walked me downstairs out into the garage and there was a quarter midget sitting there (laughs) that he had actually bought he bought that quarter midget from alan lane Helen the, uh, Lane. The, the ESS sprint car. Yes. Driver. Okay. Yep. And we, uh, of course, I never ran that car. My dad basically just bought it to strip all the running gear out of it because he already had plans to build his own car. Oh. Of course. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So that 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 seed was planted, whether I knew it or not, at about four years old. <laughs> so did you ever? Did you always drive then your dad's cars when you were were all of the cars you drove your dad's? Yes, up until. Up until we went to Oswego, or I ran Evans Mills in the year 2000. Yeah, we'll get to that. Years old. Yeah. Every, every car I ever drove was built by my dad up to that point. Yeah. How cool is so, that? Yeah, it's wild. And that's another one of those things where you don't, you don't think about it because you grew up doing it. But, you know, I've got buddies that I've raced quarter midgets with in years past and friends now. And they're like, man, that's wild that your dad, like, literally built all your stuff. And yeah. He did. He did right from the very beginning, and typically it was it wasn't much different than when he built his super modifieds. You would run it for, you'd run it for a year until it got crashed, and then he would scrap it <laughs> and build something new because <laughs> he he was just always wanting to do something new. Yeah, so. wow, yeah, and you see the thing I always loved about your dad's cars is when, when he would build you a mic rod is it was always a replica. So you had oh yeah yeah the Jim Champagne rear engine replica that was cool. Um, and you had a bunch of different Gozik, uh, you know, iterations, double zeros. Yeah. And actually I'm looking at a picture of one of them right now. The, the Gozik one that he did in the early nineties, um, it had a fake, it had a fake big black Chevy engine built hanging off the side of it. Oh, wow. (laughs) With the headers. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. The whole nine yards and the top, it had an Isma wing on top of it that actually had. 
it actually had cylinders on it, little shocks on the back of it, and the wing would move. That's right. Move. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. we we had some controversy over that too. Yeah, but, I was going to say, I yeah. you know, again, I was six, seven years old, but I think that might have sparked a rule change at the microd track. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, everybody was all up in arms because you might have an advantage at twenty miles an hour with a moving wing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, the car's going all of twenty miles an hour, but whatever. It looked cool, and it. Uh, it was just neat the stuff that he did. I mean, he took so much pride in things like that, and you know, he just uh, it was the big enjoyment for him was to be able to be out in the garage and be with me and and uh, build that stuff and and paint it and and have a good time doing it. So those there were a lot of good years there back in the nineties. Well, I was stuff. gonna say too, you know, the obviously all the you know the rage today is we wrap cars, which I'm not taking anything away from those who do that because you still got to make the designs to, to look cool to wrap with but my gosh your dad used to hand paint everything and he came up with some of the coolest most awesome paint jobs on cars um i mean that was a talent oh yeah yeah and you know it's um and he later on he did start you know using some vinyl too but he never used a machine he would actually cut it all with an exacto knife by hand yeah <laughs> so yeah. it was you know it was still kind of a kind of a by hand art form but um yeah he did that right from the very beginning he actually got his years ago back when he was i don't know in his teens or in his 20s he actually had a little bit of a business going at the speedway airbrushing t-shirts for people okay wow. so he, he did that for a long time too and he would make banners for you know he would paint banners for people to bring in the grandstands and things like that so that artistic side he's he had it right from the very beginning, and some of my actually some of my most prized possessions that I have still from my father are actually old, like graph paper drawings um, of super modifieds that he wanted to build or maybe did build. Um, you know, there's there's no years on them, but I've got one hanging up on the wall oh, wow. right here in my garage that's got all the measurement on the back side. It's got all the measurements. It's got the spring rates. It's got everything written down in pencil on the back, all on graph paper. Wow. So. I've got those in frames, and so I check them out nearly every day. I come out and look at them. But that's the stuff that you, you know, I never had that bone in my body. I always just hopped in them and drove them. I never had the patience. I was never really into right. drawing or anything like that. So it just amazes me um, to see the thought and, and the patience and, and stuff that he had and, and people of his caliber have to build race cars. It's just, to me, it's incredible. Well, and that's the thing. And see, your dad wasn't afraid to try something new either. He had some pretty exotic creations in, yeah. in his day. Yeah, he really did. Um, a lot of them, too, you know, I talked to, I still talk to Mickey Healy quite a bit. Yep. And and Joe Hawk, you know, obviously Joey Hawks me and stuff. And Joey, whenever I go over to Joey's shop, he's got a picture of uh, the red 22 car that my dad built for okay. his father. Yeah, with Joey. In the early yep. 80s there. And he always, he raves about that car all the time and just says that, you know, it was ahead for what it was doing. It was ahead of its time and certainly didn't have the funding behind it to really make it go and do what it could have done. Um, but yeah, I think my, my dad was a little bit of a head, you know, and the ideas that he had were, I think were good ideas. They just didn't quite have, never had enough time to really see him through or the money to really see him through. But, um, the, uh, they were all in his best interest, and, and he had a lot of good ideas going on. So. Well, he did, and, you know, he had he had a side engine car at one point. I think he had a drawing for a rear engine car. He built one, um, mm -hmm. and I think John Bush might have been involved in both of those. Um, the side engine car, actually, the motor was in that car backwards. 
Oh, it so was. Actually, so that was way it, ahead it of its was time. Actually, I want to say there were two transfer cases in the car that were chain driven to actually get the thing to move <laughs> the way he had it. Wow. Set up. And again, you know, you look at it, you think about it, and I'm sure the principles there and everything were were genius. But again, you just didn't have enough time, you know, to really work through it and make it work. The the rear engine car, that's a funny story. Um, my dad grew up as a staunch Nolan Swift supporter. Yes. Everything was Nolan Swift. Yep. He loved Nolan Swift. Yeah, we he used actually, to talk about that all the time. At the same time, he had uh, you know he had a profound respect for Jim Champagne. But he would always, he always used to tell me a story that he uh, he had airbrushed himself a T-shirt at one point that said anybody but Jim Champagne, right? Well, <laughs> he told me he's like one time Jim was Jim was loading his car up in Fulton and he needed a hand and for whatever reason he was struggling to get the car loaded up. So my old man's on the back of the car helping Jim push it on the trailer with his anybody but Jim Champagne T-shirt on <laughs> <laughs> to help him get the thing loaded up. But they would talk all the time on the phone about building race cars and jim actually invited my my dad and my mom over to his shop to take all the measurements all the pictures whatever my dad wanted wow to build a rear engine car because at the time you know it was right on the doorstep of them being outlawed and i think jim saw my dad and my mom as a pair of people that didn't have tons of money didn't have a big you know a big checkbook to go buy whatever they needed but that they were two people that could go home and build their own car like Jim and probably do halfway decent with it. So I, I think he was just trying to get the notion out there that you didn't have to have a giant pocketbook to build a rear engine race car like everybody thought you needed. You just had to have the ability and the ingenuity to do it. And my father built the frame, had it on the ground. Of course, the body was already built and painted before the engine was even in it because that's how he operated yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was, wasn't shortly after that, that the rule mandate came down that you couldn't run the rear engine cars. And my dad promptly chopped it up into a bunch of pieces. Wow. <laughs> and that was the end of it right there. And whatever it would have been the off season of between 1979 and 1980. So it got started, but it never got finished. Yeah. And that's a shame. I mean, I, you know, I've obviously made my opinion clear on that whole thing in, in, in numerous places. Um, but you know, that's in, in hearing stories like that is the reason why uh, my opinion is how it is because, um, I mean that car that Jimmy built, there was nothing trick in it. There was nothing complicated about it. There was nothing. It was basically a rear engine offset super and could have easily been duplicated for, you know, pretty much the same dollar as, as the front engine roadster offset. And, you know, uh, the, the, the speedway looked at Conium's classic drive, freaked out, banned the thing and, you know, and banned rear engines because, you know, Conium had a great drive and made up a lap in a classic, which Nolan Swift had done seven years before price. Right. Um, and according to the scoring anyway. And so, you know, my, my whole position on that was look at all the cars. Doug Gore was building one. Your dad was building one. Who knows who else was building them? And, you know, we could have had that many more cars. Well, part of the reason they banned it was, well, they didn't want everybody have to go spend money duplicating that. Well, they didn't have to. The next year, Jimmy comes back with the same thing everybody else has got. Leads all 200 laps of the classic like it was nothing. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it was like, guys, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was I've unfortunate. Been on, I've been on both sides of stuff like that in the yeah. past. And, you know, you can, 
it's six one half a dozen of the other. And at the end of the day, it's it's kind of like the, the the wing change that was done in the last year. Right. You know, with a swing of now. I mean, I've I've made it known that I'm not a big fan of it. But you know what? At the end of the day. If you support Oswego and you support super modified racing, you've got to just you've got to get behind it. It's it's what it is. Well, and, exactly, and, and that's kind know, of where I came to. Is I'm you not know. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up on Oswego Speedway or super modified because right. because I think the the new rear wing looks silly. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, but it's just what it is, and you. I love the place. I'm never not going to be interested in it. Not want to be there. So yeah, well, that's the that's true, and and I agree that with that 100. percent it, It's just interesting, and of course, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback something. But I always, oh, yeah. you know, my my business sense, and and I'm, you know, I try to look at everything as, you know, without emotion or without, and it's like, well, let's really look at what this was, and you know, so. But it was it. That's that's interesting that your dad. I thought he had had one built, but I didn't know if it had ever actually raced. The first car that I remember that your dad had on the track, and he might have had a car or two before me, just not known about it. But the first car that he had that I knew about was it was like a silver or gray colored zero. Um, and I think if I remember, Kevin Lyons was supposed to drive it, and I think Joe Hawksby ended up in it. Yeah, I've got a, I've actually got a picture in my garage of uh, my dad and, and my mom with that car in Kevin's yard. And okay. uh, yeah, again, I don't know if Kevin ended up driving that car or not, but I do have a couple pictures of that one. You know, he built, oh, geez, I don't know, from maybe 78 to 89, I think he built like 13 different cars. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had in in, in it, that span. It was, you know, and he's most known. He's obviously most known for the down tube cars because visually, yeah. you know, everybody could everybody could see that those cars were different from a mile away. Um, that car that he built a car in 1987. That was the car that AJ Michael yes. drove for him. And that car, they actually were on their way to having something pretty good going. I oh think. yeah, and that that car only had a little. 427 motor in it. it did not have a lot of power um that was and that was the first car that my dad and my mom actually owned totally on their own it was back when he was racing with joe hawksby my dad built the car my mom owned the car joe senior would always bring the engine ah, which is how okay. i was always told okay. that was kind of how those deals worked out okay. but in 87 with aj that was from the ground up that was a kapasinski race car and i think the first night they ran it I think AJ finished 10th with it in the Port City race that year, which was like to think that you could do that with a home-built car out of a tiny garage in Liverpool with a 427 and probably lots of Coors Lights in between (laughs) (laughs) is is pretty cool to think about, especially when you go back and you look at the caliber of guys that were racing there back then. So that was kind of the highlight of the run that, that they had as car owners and builders yeah he had and that car was a gorgeous car too and and i remember aj winning a heat with that car and i if i remember correctly i think he was running 17 6 17 7 somewhere in there which yeah yeah my yeah pretty my darn fast for that car ran 17 6 with a 427 yep. he loved for everybody to know that and yep. it ran he obviously, I mean, I was only two years old when that car was on the racetrack, so I never saw it with my own eyes. But everybody raved that that car could run the second lane very well for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. Um. And and AJ would make it work, you know. So it helps when he got all the pieces of the puzzle together. You know? Well, so. and and he had a really, I mean, AJ was just a great driver, and and you know he moved on for whatever reason, and and I think Tony Pufumi ended up in that car, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And did pretty well with it. And the, the the but the the car that that I always remember that stands out the most, and 
you know, God rest his soul, um, was the the 09 car that Bobby Smith got into. That car visually was stunning. I mean, oh, yeah. the graphics, the design, that car was visually stunning. And, of course, you know, Bobby proceeded to have a rather spectacular crash. And Yeah, yeah. You know, my mom was actually, I think she was pregnant for me at the time. And I, she told me a story once that she, after he, he hit the wall so hard, she thought she was going to have me. Right I was just going to say, you were <laughs> almost was, born. <laughs> she was so panicked. And then, of course, my, my dad, you know, I years later, I mean, I don't know, I'm 15 years old. My dad would tell me that story again and would joke that they were still picking up parts in the first turn from him hitting on the inside on the front street. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my god. You know, gosh. it was a bad hit. But uh, he built safe cars anyway. He did. Trust me, a lot, of, a lot of camper cars ended up in the steel. Yeah, and, they uh, did. <laughs> They Nobody did, ever yeah. got hurt. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, yeah, and again, Steve Ragley's 71, gorgeous car, Chalemi's car. I mean, those those were beautiful cars. Your dad always made his cars look good. And I always kind of equated your dad with Steve Miller in a lot of ways in terms of, you know, they were low-buck car owners that didn't have the funds to really see their designs through, and they and they always had smaller motors, you know, um, I guess, you know, obviously at the end, Steve uh, was able to get a, a, a bigger motor and look what Dave Krull did uh, with the Sweet 16. But, I mean, you know, they those those the times back then you could do that and you could go and you could you could innovate and have designs and go have a good time. Obviously, everybody wanted to win, but you could go do that and not lose a ton of money, you know, as long as you weren't breaking things. Um, well, there was. I feel like there was a different um, appreciation for going there and, and, you know, having an engineering background yes. and, and building something and going to the track week in and week out and working on it. Yeah. You know, not. I don't mean working on it at the track, but trying to build something and improve on it. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, you know as well as I do, everybody racing pretty it. much yeah. turned into opening up a book and getting yep. getting exactly what everybody else has, and you have to go out right now and be fast. There's right. no building up on anything anymore. And uh, my dad, Steve Miller, you know, Ralph McLaughlin, those guys for years, you know, the Sorrells back in the day, the Strongs, you went to the racetrack with what you could afford and what you could do because you love to be there, yep. which people still do today. But if if it took you five years to build up to where you wanted to be, that's just what you did. It's no different than pro sports. If if a head coach doesn't win in the first eight weeks, he gets fired now. Yeah, <laughs> everybody yeah. wants instant results. Yeah, so. well, that's true. And and I've I've said you know for for a number of years now that technology has really you know ruined the sport in a lot of ways because uh, you know you you it's it's hard to go backwards you know Correct. you can't really i mean and that's what's sad because in in truth if you could go backwards you you would fix a lot you know i mean there there is a way to go back but you know you you end up taking a bunch of cars and you know now they're not you can't use them anymore i mean so it's it's one of those things where it's just a it's it's a it's a conundrum that the sport I don't know if they'll ever quite figure it out, but it's just a different sport now. And when whenever, when people complain about how much money you have to have in order to compete for wins or, you know, compete well, um, you know, 90% of that is it's just the technology that's made it that way. It's not, you know, it, it isn't because somebody just wanted to spend all that money, you know. Right. Um, right. Well, and the money... The money aspect of it's always been there too. It's just at different levels, yeah. you know. It's it's all relative. I mean, 
when we were when we started running the limiteds oh in 2001 i mean my my dad hated those cars he didn't want anything to do with them yeah. I mean, he called them rolling bathtubs you know <laughs> yeah, i mean I remember he was a super modified that. guy that's what he <laughs> wanted but he knew that we couldn't afford to go super modified racing even then you know i mean we would. I remember having conversations with my dad at the kitchen table. He's like, Fred, he always called me Fred. He's like, Fred, all I want, all I want is for you to get going halfway decent enough that somebody just wants to put you in a super modified because that's the only way you're going to do it, you know, because yeah. we knew that we could, he could probably still have built a car in the early 2000s, but back then the big thing was there's no way you could afford an engine. You know, yeah. that was always the yeah. thing. Well, I mean, yeah, we can go build a race car. But we'll never be able to put an engine in it, and we'll never be able to keep putting tires on it. <laughs> well, and that's you know, and uh, so. those are the two pieces of the car that we're still talking about today. Is you know, if if, if they could, if they could, if they get the cost of tires and cost of motors down, we could put it back to being you know, I mean, sheet metal is sheet metal. But right, you right. know, but yeah, but it's it's relative. It, it's it's just always been that way. Yeah, and and I really think that the only reason, um. People that want to race super modifieds are going to find ways to race super modifieds nine times out of ten. You're going to a lot of people are going to do whatever they have to do. It's just it certainly is just more more difficult now because a lot of those guys back in the 70s and 80s or 90s that weren't were going to find a way to do it were fabricating their own parts or were building their own cars. Or that that was how they were going to make it happen. Well, or you um, could go to so that, uh, Steve you're Miller. Not gonna do, you're just not going to do that and be competitive anymore right away. Well, that's so. true. But but the other thing they were doing is you had team, you had car owners that would put guys in Correct. their cars. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know. that was the only reason I ever raced the Super Modified. Absolutely. People, yep. you know, Joey, Joey Whitcomb, of yep. all people. And, and I say... You know, he was one of the last, like, original old-school car owners. And, you know, if it wasn't for Joey and Barry Can, I never would have had the crazy dream come true of driving yeah. a Super there for a few years. Yeah. And But you're right, the car owner aspect of it just really isn't there anymore. Yeah, and that's what, see, that's what really hurt Oswego. And, and, and I don't know, it probably, to a degree, you know, I'm sure it happens in other forms of racing too, but specifically with the Supers, we we, we lost all of, of, of the, there are very few, you know, there's Nicotra, and you probably go through and find one or two more. But for the most part, it's owner drivers or you know family owned you know deals. Now you're not seeing the Herm Grafts and the Steve Millers and and those. Guys. There, there's not people that are buying cars for other people to drive. You know, no, um, you know. But um, I, I'm thankful well, for the three fifties now because yeah. you're starting to see that again. Right. I I had a tremendous experience right up until everything. <laughs> went haywire with with gary and eric sorrell oh of course um, yeah. you know they're they're still they're still pretty old school in, in the aspect that they uh you know we we worked a deal out last november to try and go racing this year and, and everything we we talked about everything we chatted about they came through with 100 percent. it just didn't work out at the end of the day but those guys are still are still sticking it out and, yep. and doing the best they can um you know and i who knows? When I started working at the Speedway in 2012, we were getting a little bit of an influx of some guys that were kind of coming in, and um, but it, it's kind of it's dwindled a little bit since then in the last you know yeah. five or six years. But yep. um, I don't know. Hopefully, it'll be on an uptick. I mean, we're hearing of uh, you know Joey's Joey's building a car on a table right now. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure who that's for, um, but you know I know that uh, Jeff Locke has a car sitting in there also that hopefully one of his sons will race eventually and. You know, so hopefully we'll get a little bit of a turnaround here. Oh, I think, you know, I mean, the car count will come back. Like I said, you just don't see that many of the 
just an owner kind of situations yeah. Yeah. Um, anymore. So it's harder now for, you know, some of the guys like an Andrew Shartner, for example, who can't afford to do it on his own. It's harder for those guys to go find a ride because you've, it just costs so much to do it. Um, and, and you're not seeing a lot of people sort of volunteer to own and spend the money while, you know, somebody else drives like he used to. Um, you know, Steve Miller in his interview with me a few weeks ago was kind of funny. He was sort of like, you know, I, because I asked him, like, you know, how to, how, why did you always? It seemed like you just had a rotating seat. And he said, "Well, he goes many of those nights. He goes, I was supposed to drive it, but he said I'd, I'd see another driver walking by who I knew didn't have a ride that night, and figure, well, he's way better than me. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah I and then finally, his wife. Uh, he tells, the, he told the story about how his wife was scoring you the swigo and. Finally, he told him, "You need to stop driving. You're awful." <laughs> like, How funny! Like that's great, you know. But uh, you know, it's 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 those are those were the days, and and your dad was obviously a big part of that with John and and Joey and Tony and you know, everybody else that he you know had in a car at one point or another. Uh, he obviously never drove them himself, and and I know that obviously as you were growing up, he always envisioned that at some point. We'd have a capper car that you know little capper would drive and and um it it didn't it didn't happen um as as everybody thought it would, but it did probably happen it, it the the idea of you driving a big boy car certainly happened sooner than everybody thought it might and I remember um bef- just before you know when when those conversations were taking place, your dad and I talked about you racing a limited and were of course i don't think a swigo at that time was going to allow anybody i think it was 16 and you were 15 you had to be 16 yeah, yeah and so i ended up evans mills was nora and i ended up i think i i, I can't remember who was heading Nora at the time but i was vice president or something and you know we talked about it and and, and said yeah let's do it and so then like okay we got to find a car and if i remember right wasn't it bob andrews that we talked to to yeah, 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 that was actually, yeah. I was four, I think I was 14 at the time when we were talking oh, to Bob. But you turned and, 15 um, before. We were actually, we were actually going to try to run it when I was 14, and we had the deal set up and everything with Bob to run the car and, and everything else, and unfortunately they, um, I forget who was actually the president of NORA at the time, but they determined that for, at that time, <laughs> it's oh, not right. too young anymore, but in, in 1999, 14 was too young, so we had to wait a year. Um, and we actually then ended up buying that car from Bob, yeah, and, and went racing at Evans Mills. Yeah, because I, I remember that at least first four race. Times, I think the first race you ran, I'm pretty sure it was, if my memory is right. First race you ran, you almost won. It was the second race. Was it the second race? Yeah. The, okay. The first one, I, I'll never forget. Who was the guy that owned Evans Mills? It was. Uh, it was Walt, uh, Van Tassel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, I went up. At the time, we weren't 100% sure if I was going to be allowed to race. But what we would do is we would we went up before the races, and we would rent the track for like 50 bucks, whatever it right. costed. And my dad would say, look, we're going to run around all day, and you're going to practice. You're going to run as many laps as you want to run. When it comes race time, he says, they're only going to have 13 or 14 cars. He's, he's like, they're going to be crazy if they don't let you race. Yeah. Well, as it turned out, they were like, well, we only have 13 or 14 cars. What do, how about we let the kid race? And I remember Walt came down and said, "Look, this is the heat race. It's like a ten lap heat race. Yeah. When they come, when, when they come to lap you, 
make sure you pull off the track. You know, get yeah. out of the way. Well, they never lapped me. <laughs> I think I ended up I think I ended up finishing like third in the heat race and I don't remember where we finished in the feature in that first one. We were on the lead lap, but the next week I led I led most yes. of it and ended up not winning the race unfortunately but yeah. i couldn't believe it <laughs> yeah you you were because i now i don't remember i don't have a memory of i might have been at your first race but i don't remember it very well i remember the second race because you were leading that race and we had had a couple of late race things that happened and and it ended up you were leading and denny wheeler was second and yep. and i remember on a restart denny decided that he wanted to lead and you were in his way. So it was how funny, how funny is it that, you know, for being like the Oswego historian that I am, that it, my, my first shot at a win comes down between me and Denny wheel yeah. supers at Oswego for like ever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah it was, in, I think I started that race like seven. Yeah. You did. I was... worked my way up through and I passed, I passed Jeff Bartlett. You did. Yes. And that baby blue 24 yep. car, and I was out front for, I don't know, 15 or so laps, and we were coming down to get the white flag, and uh, Denny, Denny decided to use the grass and turn three as a detour, and yeah, <laughs> I was I was on the other end of it, and unfortunately, we both spun around. It so was, yeah. Jeff Bartlett went on to win that race, so yeah. I was happy for Jeff anyway. I just remember <laughs> after that race, I remember being in the pits, and I remember being in your pit, and you just lost it your dad i mean I, there was the big hug it was just like and i think your dad you know i think it was almost like because i knew you know it seemed to me like you felt bad for him and he felt bad for you like you wanted to win it for him and wanted to win that race and he you know it was that was such a it, you know it, it's you know, it happens it's never a good outcome but sometimes you know you have those moments that come from an outcome that wasn't as you know what you wanted but you certainly proved you belonged at that point i mean there was no yeah, question you know, that you were evans mills was a lot of fun i really enjoyed racing there and that that car we had even for 2000 that was that was a original 92 nichols car that that still had the original front clip in it and it was it had a short wheelbase so it would it would really go really well around evans yeah. Mills, you know a tight place like that and uh that was a lot of fun i enjoyed i enjoyed racing up there it got me ready you know you wouldn't think that um you know running around a tight place like that would would necessarily get you ready to go run oswego but by the time we went to oswego the next year um yeah it was it seemingly was a lot faster but um everything slowed down for me real quick mostly because of the laps that i had at evans mill so it, it was a huge help for nora and everybody in the series at that point to let me go run you know three or four races there the year, the year before because it i pretty much hit my stride pretty quick when we went to oswego the next year yeah so. see i think and i think that's exactly i remember back you know, when we were putting Nora together, that was one of the things that we talked about was that, you know, it'd be a nice training ground for, you know, a driver that's never raced before rather than go to a Swiggo the first time, go to a Nora show. I don't know that we envisioned at that time there was going to be a 15 year old kid, but, you know, I mean, that was, it was kind of a, a deal where I, I think we all were aware that that could be a, and we, you know, I remember that we wanted to do some shows beyond, um, you know, beyond uh, Evans Mills. And, and and I think we might have done one or two at Spencer. But, um, you know, that I, I'm glad to see that that Camden and Mike Bruce and, and those folks are, are putting some shows back together because I 
I think it's great for the, the the limited small blocks, whatever you know you want to call them, the SBS class to go and have some shows elsewhere. I think they make a nice little touring class because you know tracks like Evans Mills that need kind of an infusion of something different. Um, you know, obviously it's a it's it's a much more reasonable purse than a super modified race would be. Right. Well, and it, it's important for Oswego too, in my opinion. You know, I'm I'm glad that uh, you know I saw what they're doing now. They're gonna they're kind of branding it along with Oswego. Yeah. You know, which I think is important because let's face it, you know, even even at the lesser expense of running a an SBS car, you know, you're only gonna run ten or eleven races at Oswego. Right. You know, and it's so yep. it's still a it's still a decent investment. to only, you know, that's kind of the position I'm in right now, and. You know, I would I would like to have a race car out of my own garage again sure. at, at some point. You know, but I I have limited funds as well, and it's like, you know, I got a two year old at home. Well, he's going to be three in December, and it's like maybe I'm not in the position where I want to race every weekend. But if you have a race car that only runs on ten weekends a year, you know, you really feel like you have to be at the racetrack on those ten weekends. Right. Well, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't. Because you don't you don't want to give them up, but right. you know having the opportunity to go race some other places only helps everybody. So I I really like you said I applaud Camden and Mike for you know being forward thinking and and trying to get that going because it's only going to help everybody at the end of the day to have more races at, at more racetracks. A hundred percent. Yeah, I I agree totally with that. Um, you know you you <laughs> the thing that when I was thinking about okay what are we going to talk about you know we we we. You had, um, I talked to, my most recent guest um, was obviously Ryan Coney, and people, a lot of people didn't realize that he went to NASCAR and did everything he did in NASCAR and, you know, as a, as a, a an engineer and a crew chief and, and all of that, um, and, and had done a lot of the sprint car racing and such that he, that he's done. Um, you know, you also, uh, you know, if people... People didn't know you till just, you know, here recently or whatever. There's a whole couple chapters of your career. You went and ran Dirt Sportsman. You've run, um, you, you ran Street Stock. In fact, your only feature win at Oswego was in a Super Stock, right? Until you, did you get a limited, did you win a limited race eventually? No. Okay. I couldn't, well, I, I couldn't remember. I'm like, I'm going to say still, no, and then he's going to uh, go, well, wait a minute, that, I did win. Yeah. I still haven't <laughs> won one of those damn limited races, but I thought I had... Last year, I thought I had two of them, yeah. and, uh, and yeah. that didn't work out. But, yeah, I mean, I've – again, it's one of those deals where when you're doing it, you're just doing whatever you can do to race because that's all I've ever wanted to do is drive race cars ever since I was four or five, six sure. years old. So you just did whatever you could do to drive whatever you could drive. And, you know, after the after the super modified deal in 04 and 05 and 06, I was off to college, and I had graduated, and it was like, well, now i got to go to work. <laughs> yeah, you know, really. like you can only spend so much money before <laughs> right. you need to start making money. Yeah, and um, so I got a job in '07. Um, that's when I started working for Dirt Motorsports. That's right. And yeah. so I was doing promotions and announcing and things like that for Rolling Wheels and Weed Sport Canada. One that led to an opportunity. Um, well, actually, before that, that was when I went down to Charlotte for like half a. Oh, summer that's right. Yeah, you came down Real Legends. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the weirdest thing. It ended up being the weirdest thing I've ever done because I was sitting on my mom's couch. It was Memorial Day weekend of 2007. I had just graduated college. Didn't really have anything lined up at the time and wondering what I'm doing, What you know, what's next. Wasn't racing. Um, Tom Bliss had sold the Super Modified, so I was just kind of chilling out and, you know, was going to do whatever I could do. Right. 
And Tom called and said, hey, my buddy or my cousin, I forget exactly how they're related, but it was Gary Trump, which is actually a relation to Tyler Trump that runs the Dirt Modifieds. Right oh, now. okay. Says, um, well, his daughter was running a Legends car down at Charlotte, and they decided that you know they, she wasn't going to run the car anymore. They're looking for somebody to race it. What do you think? You want to go down and run the summer shootout at Charlotte? I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> Why I'm not? not? Anything right? else. Yeah. So I said, well, so how is this going to work? Like, what's going to happen? He goes, well, Gary will be by tomorrow morning to pick you up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I turn around and tell my mom, like, hey, I'm going to pack a bag and go to Charlotte with Gary Trump and race a Legends car. You're what? <laughs> Where are you going to stay? <laughs> well, he's got a couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay. So I hopped in his Suburban. We drove down to Charlotte. And wow. I lived, I lived in an apartment on a couch for four months racing legends cars at concord and charlotte and a couple other places i forgot was, about that chapter. it was an experience can't believe i didn't remember that because i watched you run all those shows those things were very difficult to drive they are yeah i i don't want anybody to ever think that you know you watch a uh quote-unquote little legends car go around a quote-unquote little racetrack and think that it's easy those things have a ton of horsepower and zero tire yeah none well, no that's, tire at all. That's the key. And that's they the key. Are very difficult. And now they're I don't know, you you must have missed a memo, but they're they're going finally to a uh, a Hoosier tire on mm. the, for those. I mean which, ba- back then we were driving on like a pickup truck tire. It's a, yeah, it's a street it tire. Yeah. And and you know, they and but I give you know, again, at the time I've always been like supremely hard on myself all the time, you know. Yeah. Whenever something goes wrong, it's always my fault. I always think that I should have done something better. And the whole time I was down there running that car, I felt the same way. But again, I put myself in a position where I'm doing something that I've never done before. Right. With zero experience, and I'm doing it against the best, okay? I was racing against Ryan Blaney. Oh, yeah. David Reagan was still racing at that point. Yep. I was racing out of the same shop as Bubba Wallace. Oh, that's right. Yes. I forgot. Yeah. Bubba yep. and I were technically teammates, technically, yeah. not really, but the car came out of the same garage. Right. And back then, I, and they made me run the pro class because I had driven super modified. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm running against all these kids. And, uh, I mean, I was still a kid at the time, too, but not not that young. And, right. Uh, but I, I still hang my hat on the fact that I, th- I think I ran five of those shootout races, and I qualified for three of the A mains, and there were like 80 cars. And one of them, one of them, I ran in the rain, and I, that was actually the best I did. I started like 30th in the feature and finished 13th in the pouring rain. Wow! Um, it actually, I felt like it kind of leveled it up a little bit. <laughs> and uh, but that was a blast. It was a good time. It didn't, it didn't last that long. I came home and ended up running a small block car for, uh, or a limited, whatever you want to call it back then, for Steve Reynolds, and um, we had a lot of fun doing that too. But I've never been afraid to jump in anything, Tom. To it's either. For the for the better or worse, I just wanted to drive race cars. <laughs> well, so. but that was in in watching you in the street stock was fun. You know the that class. Um, you know, I I I had my own opinion about whether or not I thought it was a great weekly class, but I certainly think it's a great class in it. And and I like that you know they bring them for the classic, and they have you know they I think they have. Um, they're maybe going to do i keep hearing rumors that maybe one or two other shows but um 
you know, I, at the time, you know, you it brought some people to the track that otherwise obviously wouldn't have been there. Um, and, you know, it, it gave you the opportunity to go win a race at the Oswego Speedway, which, you know, again, who would have ever thought back in the Micron days that your first win at Oswego would ever come in a street stock. But, you know, that's 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 how the racing deal works sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That class, you know, I always had a – especially by the time I was driving for uh, – Jake Ratcliffe and that car that was a beautiful race car it was um I kind of have a hard time at that time calling that class then even a street stock class because it was really more of a more of a pro stock or you know yeah those that was a nice Canadian built stock car with a really good looking body on it and there were 20 something of them in that race that I won and you know three quarters of them were beautiful race cars and you know ran really well and um no I never would have thought that that would have been the first win either but fortunately i had a chance to do it and we made the most of it yeah pretty amazing stuff for sure um that was that was a lot of fun i mean you you know you really have you've had a nice career you've been able to do a lot of things you know both in the car and out of the car that that obviously a lot of a lot of folks would give an arm to do and you know being doing all the the marketing work and announcing and and you know being able to be a part of some some amazing series like the dirt it's um you know super dirt series and um you know and and even you know through working at oswego full-time and now working for dirt motorsports uh or for sorry for uh weed sport and doing their stuff um you know you're you're still involved in it and and you you know i mean that's you've had a really interesting story so far your journey in the sport has been a very interesting story yeah i've been very fortunate to um touch a lot of different things and be a part of a lot of different things you know i i grew up straight oswego yeah everything that i thought about every single day was super modifieds and oswego speedway yep um but then when i had that chance to go work for dirt and then in 2009 they moved me down to charlotte and i actually got to you know i pretty much chased the world of outlaws for sure two or yep. three years and got to go all across the country you know helping out with the dirt vision program and things like that and it opened my eyes to man there's so many other things out here and and i always kind of hung my head on the idea that i was never from that point on i i never was a pure asphalt guy or a pure dirt guy or a sprint car or a super modified or yeah. you know this or that i loved it all and i still do um and I'm currently I'm really in love with everything that that dirt karting has to offer too. You know I, I'm doing oh, a lot with that right now. And yeah, and another to get chapter of your <laughs> yeah, you know, and and help some folks you know get going with you know some bigger things on that front too. And um, I don't know, it's just what am I 34 now? I guess I'll be 35 in February. Wow, and uh, which is hard to believe. Yeah, it is. Um, but I spend. Uh, 60% of my day thinking about racing in some way or another. Yeah. It drives me, sometimes it drives me crazy. And I know it drives my wife crazy all the time, but, <laughs> um, you know, I just, my mind moves so fast and I, I don't always, you know, this year it was, I got to a point this year where it's like, you know, Dan, should you really worry about driving race cars anymore? Should you just think about promoting and things like that? And, you know, I, we go out classic weekend and, you know, obviously that weekend didn't end the way anybody wanted it to oh. end. But the way Sunday morning started, I felt like racing is so weird, Tom. It's like I went from Friday or, you know, Saturday and Sunday morning feeling like I didn't even 
I didn't want to walk in the racetrack because I didn't know what was going to happen to all of a sudden after practice being seventh fastest yeah. out of 37 cars. Yeah. And I'm like, my God, I haven't driven one of these things in 13 years. And I didn't sit in this car until yesterday. I've only run 10 laps. And it's like it all came rushing back to me. It's like I'm 19 years old again. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm I'm a super modified driver. Yeah. You know? So it's like... <laughs> You know, you get you get that itch again, and it's it all comes back. It's like uh, it's the safest it's the safest drug you're ever going to do. Well, <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. Well, it's it's but it's the only drug for which there really is no cure. I mean, yeah, let's, you, can't, let's, you can't shake it. No, I mean you, you can stop it, but that doesn't mean you don't want to do it. It's like being addicted to alcohol or anything else. You can you can make yourself stop. But you, you know, it doesn't make the feeling go away. And, no, it doesn't. I know. mean, I, when I came in off the track, we ran three sixteen twos in a row. I, I felt like I, I felt like I won a feature, man. I was Jason was happy. Yeah. It was like, man, this is unreal. Like I felt like I was on cloud nine, you know. And it's like to have that's the feeling. That's the feeling that anybody that drives a race car, yep. anybody that races, that's wants the to high. feel. Yeah especially when your car owner, the guy that you're doing it for is like, you can see it in his face. And Jason is so awesome at that. Like he rides the highs and he rides the yeah. lows, but I'll tell you what, he's always with you no matter what. Yep. And it was just, that was the feeling. And it's like, man, it's like, damn it. I got it again. Ah, yeah. I thought, I thought maybe I was out of it, but it's like, um, I mean, who knows if, well, I'm, if I'm out of it or in it, but I, I got that feeling again and it felt great. Well, you know, and it and it was like, like you said, it was that roller coaster. You went you, the highest high, and then of course, you know, in the heat race, it was like, ugh, you know. Um, and that's how quickly, that's how quickly it could change. And obviously, you've been there before. I mean, it's that wasn't the first time, you know, that you'd had something happen like that and 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 hit a low spot. But you know, then to have Tyler go out and do what he did, so okay, your day didn't go the way you wanted it to, but oh my gosh, look what your team just did. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. <laughs> you know, and I, I want to make sure people, if there's one thing that anybody gets out of this, I want to make sure that they know the work that all those JSR guys do and David O'Connor does. Yeah. David O'Connor is a 22-year-old kid. He works his ass off. Okay, yeah. we... I was home Saturday during the Isma race when Tyler went on the track and, and the motor broke, and I get a text message at whatever time practice, like literally when practice starts, because it blew right away. Uh, sorry, Dan, I think everything's done. Yeah. So I go off. I don't know. My in-laws were in town. We went off and did whatever else. I set my phone down, didn't look at my phone for like two hours because I was pretty dejected. You well, know, I was going to be on the front row of the sure. race and was feeling yeah. good. And all of a sudden, I picked my phone up, and I got a rush of text messages. We got a motor. We're going to we're gonna try to do this. You know, can you come out, this and that? So I go out there at, I don't know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I left at 1.30 in the morning. The car was still on jack stands, no body on it. Yeah. The motor was in, but it wasn't fully plumbed yet. It wasn't on the ground. Uh, David was still there. And and the Aussie was there. <laughs> Chris Corbett <laughs> yeah, was still there. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, I go, if I'm going to drive this thing, I got to get a little bit of sleep. You know, I'm going to go home and, and I'll be back at like 530. I come back at 530. Not only is the thing plumbed and done, it's in the trailer. It had been scaled. David is sleeping in his truck 
outside of the garage. Yeah. The the kid that ended up going on to basically, you know, essentially call the shots for the classic winning car, the 22-year-old kid was up till God knows when the night before and slept in his pickup truck to get my car together yeah. for me to go. Yep. And that's why that's why when everything happened like it happened, you know, I literally like I I broke down when it was done because I didn't feel bad for myself because like you said, I've hit low spots yeah. like that before, but yep. I've never had a situation where somebody would do that to themselves to get something ready for me to drive. And then mm-hmm. that happens. It was just, for me, it was heartbreaking, but I was so excited that that hard work that David and those guys put in came to fruition with Tyler. I mean, what a race. I don't, I don't think you're ever going to see that race run that way again. I, I think a lot of things, a lot of things worked out, and Tyler drove his ass off. There's no doubt about that. But that's just not. It's just not done that way anymore. No, you know, um, it was incredible. It was, yeah, that it was. It was almost comical, and I was so thankful. I decided to go to the grandstand for that race because, um, you know, I didn't want to watch it from the pits, and and there's no media tower anymore. So um, I, I went to the grandstand, and I was so glad I did because. The show that was put on in the first turn with the sign and all that, oh, I mean, that was that was some of the best entertainment I've ever seen in a classic. I was down there. I was actually I was watching from the pit area just in case anything happened. All the other guys had head down to the first turn. And I, I didn't have what the scoring's on that my race pass or whatever now. And I don't have that on my phone. Yeah, I just I have a race yeah. monitor. But my buddy Mike had the Babs. Mike Babcock had the my race pass. And he's I'm watching Tyler rip out front. He goes, Dan. He's running sixteen four, and I'm like, he's what? He's running sixteen four? I'm like, oh my god! So I run down to the first turn, and Jason's—I think Jason was talking to Joey Payne or somebody else. Yeah. Probably just you know, Jason's on cloud nine. I'm like, Jason, you got to tell that kid to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing? So from that point on, Tyler was literally everybody. He was like a light switch. You know, if they told him to go, yeah. he goes. If they told him to slow down, the pace car could have passed. It was just it was the funniest thing but ever. He did it. He did it. He did everything they told him to do. And the so. funny thing is, it worked. I mean, you know, you got to have, worked. like you said, it probably could never happen again because, like Jimmy's two, all two hundred classic, you have to miss a bunch of stuff. You have to have everything go your way. Nothing fall out. Nothing break. Nothing, you know, whatever. And it was, <laughs> but to watch, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've been a musician forever and it was I, the only thing I could think of is, you know, there, there's an orchestra director and we're doing like a classical thing because, you know, those songs, those, the classical pieces oh. always have, you know, highs and lows. And so, you know, you could, it was like, you would speed up and slow down and speed up and slow down and speed up. And Tom, the, like... the, the best part, the best part was there were fans in the grandstand in the first turn. <laughs> yelling to them to tell them to slow yeah. down <laughs> like literally literally so it was like we had we had communication from our fans in the first <laughs> turn telling the crew to tell tyler that he needs to slow down he doesn't need to go that fast go from it was wild to but, you know it's funny you mentioned, you mentioned jimmy leading all 200 laps i had done a press conference at the speedway oh i don't know nine or so years ago back when they used to do them at the bowling alley Okay. And there was a line of us drivers up there on the lanes, and they, I forget who asked the question, but they asked, what's the one record at Oswego Speedway that you do not think will ever be broken? And at the time, I, I was the only one that said, I go, well, the, somebody leading all 200 laps. I mean, obviously, you couldn't break it. You right. could tie it. Right. I'm like, that one. Because nobody, at that, nobody wants to do it. Right. For the most part anymore. 
But maybe maybe now that maybe somebody watched Tyler do what he did and, and can think they can go from the outside of the front row and now lead all 200 again. But, it, man, it's so difficult. It's the, so well, difficult. there again, I mean, the problem is, you, you know, that's the, the problem is you can try to do that. But like I said, so many things have to come together to allow that to happen. The cautions, Correct. cautions, Correct. he yeah. had enough cautions he had and they came at some of the the perfect places you know i mean but it was i mean and nobody can say because like at the end of the race you know everybody had a shot at him i mean like they were all right there we had a couple late race and you know he just it was like he he was driving something different like it was just it was unbelievable to watch honestly and and it was almost like it was meant to be from the from from the time that he won his first race there um a few weeks earlier that whole sort of four or five week span right through Indy, uh, you know, going out to Indianapolis and winning there, that it was just one of those um, runs of luck and, and circumstance. And of course, you have to have the talent to to make it all work, which he does. But I mean, you know that he could he could retire right now, <laughs> you know, and and he has a career basically of a couple. Oh, I yeah. mean, you know, it's yeah. unbelievable. The kid's so talented. I no, mean, the best part about Tyler is that he's he's such a gentleman at the same time, and I'm he's not humble. just saying that. Yeah, he's humble. The kid is. He is, yeah. he is literally anybody yeah. could walk up to him and and he's he's your buddy, and he's going to remember you too. That's yeah. just how he is. It's just yeah. how he was raised, and he is a really really super kid that just. You know, I've watched Tyler run go-karts since he was, I mean, I I don't know. Man, I forget. He's only 18 now, so probably since he was I was going to say, yeah, old, 12 or and, 13, I think he started, yeah. Yeah, and, and starting out, you know, he he wasn't that great. He was learning. You know, yeah. he's never, he'd never done anything like that before. He started late. Yep. But, yeah, you know, imagine, that, imagine us uh, saying that. 2015 or 2016, they... I, and I remember telling Jason this the other day. He, he, they took him on an indoor stretch there. So he ran Syracuse. He ran Harrisburg and Pennsylvania. He went down to the King of the Concrete in Carolina. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the, the kid just found it, like out of the blue. And wide open, Tom, all oh, the yeah. time. He's wide yep. open. And I told Jason, I said, you've got it right now because you don't – the only thing you have to worry about is slowing him down. Right. Yep. You know, normally you might have a, you, you got to try to amp him up and get him going. All you got to do is slow him down, and it, he listens because he did, <laughs> he did well, it for two hundred laps of classic. But the kids just got pure talent. Some people just have it, and I, I equate Tyler to cold trickle. That's what I tell people <laughs> all the time. Well, it, see, it's funny because I uh, the, first, the I said Doug Heveron, and of course, you know, he broke Doug's couple of Doug's records now, but, uh, you know, I've, I said that he is the closest thing to Doug Haveron that we've had at the track since Doug. And, and I could easily see Tyler going in, in doing, you know, I mean, I know he didn't have such good luck with the modified at Thompson, but again, those things are going to happen. Well, that happens. You know, yeah. that kid is, that kid w- would drive anything to the front that you put him in, given enough time to get used to it and understand it. Um, you know, and he seems to adapt pretty quickly. So yeah, it's got to be fun for you now to be able to, you know, to be a part of that, even, even if, you know, obviously, and to be able to, to be a teammate, even, you know, for a short while. And I hope you get a chance again. I mean, I, I feel it was just, that was again for you, my gosh. I mean, you know, first, you know, first Mike has his problem the week before and then, you you know, and then all of a sudden you're okay, we're going to be in this car. And then, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, that you, you went the gamut of emotions for sure over a two week period. 
Yeah, well, Randy, I think I think I heard Randy in the re- Ritzkiss in the replay, you know, he's like, oh, Danny was in the race, then he was out, then he was in, then he was out. Yeah. And then he, I mean, it literally yeah. felt that way like three or four yeah. times. And, you know, I've grown to become a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Right. Yeah, literally, and I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but I can tell you from experience and 18 years of driving oh, no, race cars, too, that, yeah. that's just how it is. And, you know, um, I'm very humbled at the idea that people of the caliber of Gary and Eric Sorrell yeah. and Jason yep. believe in me enough to give me that opportunity. Um, you know, when, when the motor was broken on the Sorrell car and I, again, I couldn't even believe this, that, uh, Eric told me that Joe, Joe goes, called and offered his extreme car yeah. to give, to give to the Sorrells for me to drive. Yep. And it's like, you hear that and it's like, wow, my immediate thought is, oh, why? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I look back, well, what have I really done to get that opportunity? I, I, you know, but apparently, you know, they, they see it, and I appreciate it, and I love it. And, and I've been fortunate to have, you know, I've got some some great partners, and, you know, um, Skip's Fish Fry has helped me out a lot. Paul yeah. Cole at Champion Power Equipment, Mohawk Northeast. I've a lot of people believe in, in what I've done in the past, and, and I appreciate that to get a chance again to do it. And, um, I want to run the classic one more time. I was going to really say do. that was, you, you, you know, I was going to get there. It was what, what, you know, if you have the chance again to do something like that, would you do it? I would. Yeah. yeah. There's no way I can't. I mean, the, the part I struggle with is like we talked about earlier. Um, the Andrew Shartners of the world, the Anthony Lacerdo's, these guys yeah. that are on the cusp that need, that need to be in race cars. You yeah. know what I mean? Do I need to be in a race car when they, but I I still love it and I still think that I can give it one hell of a run if if it all if it all pans out. I agree. You know, um, it's tough to get in a race car nowadays and not have some seat time. Yeah. You know, I and I don't again because I'm so hard on myself. I think that I should be right out there running on the podium and running fifteen <laughs> right. nine. But then I think, like, damn, you only ran ten laps. Yeah. And you go out in time trial sixteen three. So it's not that bad. It's just you always want more when you're like ultra competitive. <laughs> well, yeah, well, sure. So. Yeah. I mean, but again, what you did in the short time was amazing. And, and, you know, I think it showed the talent that you have. Now I, I have no doubt in my mind that, uh, in about mm, what, two, three years, um, we're going to have another capper in a race car. My, my only question is if you decide whether it's going to be a go-kart or a quarter midget or a mic rod, it's going to not be a go-kart. Okay. I've already made that decision. It's it's uh, it's down to a micro rider quarter midget. Um, and it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with the fact that it has a roll cage. I, I want him to start, if if he wants to do it, which I'm telling you, Tom, he's, I think he's going to want I know he's going to want Come um, on, Dan. I mean, and I'm, you know, <laughs> let's be real Mark, here. Mark Cooper, of all people, put it to me best. He says, Dan, what are you talking about if he wants to do it? He goes, you plant corn, you get corn. Exactly. Well, <laughs> That is correct. <laughs> I mean, my kids—he's in the—he's in the house right now. He's got his pit area set up. And sure. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. So I know it's coming, but um, I want him to start in something with open wheels. Yeah. Um, you know, I—I—I I, I don't want to start early on with the. Uh, 
I just don't want him using the right front of the of the car to right. make things happen. I want him to do it on his own with his brain. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, that's a great idea. So that'll be fun. So something at Syracuse, which is great because that yeah. you know that gives us the whole um, and the legend continues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you uh, now you probably won't build it. I'm guessing so. Uh, or would you? Would you consider doing no, that? No, no, that's not something I can do. Although you'd laugh because um, I do have the last open wheel micro ride that my father ever built no. in my garage. Really? So, yeah, that he built it in 1995, and actually, it was that I don't know you, if you saw a picture. You'd obviously remember it was the it was red and white. It was a really kind of like a radical offset car with down tubes. Um, but Kyle Reuter of all people ended up with that car. No, um, that's they, awesome. They, yeah. They, they got that car. I, they just took the running gear out of it. I think they end up building a quarter midget or something else. So the frame and the body and the bumpers and everything else went into a storage unit and stayed there for the better part of 20 years. And, uh, Kyle wow. called me up and said, Hey, I've got, I've got your old mic rod sitting in this garage. You want it? And I said, sure, bring it on over. So here it sits, the last open-wheel mic rod I ever drove it. That's awesome. Old, well, I need to. I have in my possession. With my dad's hand-painted, he, he hand-painted my name on the go-kart, and it's still on there. So Man. It's pretty cool. I'm going to have to come and check that out. That's great. Yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, and, I, and, and you know what? I think there's a the, the moral to your story is really so much about, what I keep talking about when it comes to a Swiggo in the Supers, it's about family. It's a big family. Um, you know, obviously you got started because of your family. Um, and, you know, even as recently as, you know, here we are, you know, what, two months or whatever removed from, from the classic. Um, and you could make the case that it was family and family isn't always blood. It was family that came together to help you, to have every possible opportunity to make that race. Yeah. You yeah, know, there's no doubt. Well, because at the end of the day, everybody in there is family. That's there, right. It's just, exactly. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Yep. It's uh, it's pretty amazing, honestly. And, uh, and, and just, you know, great to uh, have had the time to sit down and chat with you a little bit and kind of um, remember some things and go back and think about some things. I mean, you know, it's like I, 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 I started a little at the top of the interview when I, when I talked about your dad, but man, I have so many special memories of your dad, whether it was sitting at your kitchen table or, or the char pit, uh, you know, um, or at the track. And, and, you know, he was such a, a close friend and I still miss him and I miss his laugh and I miss his, you know, if your dad had something to say, he already said it. You know, I mean, yeah, he, he exactly. didn't, you know, there was no, he, he'd never beat around the bush, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes, and, sometimes I wish I had a little more of that in me. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I miss him something fierce too. I mean, all I can think at the end of the day is that I just hope that he's, you know, happy with, you know. I'm sure he's very proud. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he's quite proud of you. And I know that uh, your mom is too. And, and your mom's a sweetheart and, and, you know, love her to death. And I'm thankful that she was able to sort of recover um, from her health issues as well as she has. And, and uh, you know, it's it's just an awful lot of fun to uh, to sit and think about the old days. And um, looking forward to, obviously, some more memories. I know that uh, there, I, I believe I wouldn't be surprised to see you get another shot at the Classic next year. And, you 
uh, I know obviously there's a whole bunch of uh, there's a brand new chapter coming in the next couple of years with with Michael. So um, you know, it should be a lot of fun. But uh, definitely been a good time to to talk with you, and, and you know, maybe we'll get to uh, do it again over the winter at some point as we get closer to the season. But I know you've got things to do, uh, and I don't want to keep you any longer. But thanks for taking the time to just uh, kick back and 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 have some fun. On the, on oh, the, thanks, the Tom. Roof. No, this is fun, I mean, and I'm glad you've been doing this to get a lot of these stories out about these guys that don't necessarily just get to sit back and talk about, you know, their their past and their upbringing. It's a lot of fun, so I've, I've enjoyed it. And, well, uh, I appreciate it. Was a fast it. hour. Well, yeah, it, it really was. Hour. Yeah, and, I mean, it you know, I, I'm not limited by time, but I know you have other things going, uh, and so I know you need to get to them, but uh, we'll definitely do it again, and, and again, it was fun. So uh, that is Dan Kapazinski. We're going to uh, step aside, and we'll be back here on Inside Groove. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Welcome back to Inside Groove. We hope you really enjoyed that uh, interview with Danny Kapazinski. And I know I enjoyed uh, sitting down with Dan and talking to him. That will uh, about do it for this week. Uh, For those of you who may be traveling like Cam and and Tim and the family, we uh, wish you safe travels. And uh, those of you who are nestled uh, up north where old man winter has made his first appearance, um, well, Please keep it there. Don't come south with it. Don't pass through Charlotte, North Carolina with it. We don't want it. Just keep it right up there, uh, and I'll deal with it when I come up for the holidays. But thanks to all of you for listening. And again, thank you so much to our sponsors, um, IndiePerformanceComposites.com. Please visit that website. Uh, Jeff West and his staff do an amazing job with all of the work that they do. Uh, Anything that you might need, uh, in that realm, please make sure that you give Jeff a call or uh, get at him through the website or through his various social media. Uh, and also, thank you to Skip's Fish Fry, the absolute best fish in the city of Oswego. Sean and his staff, as always, um, big supporters of the show, and uh, we're very grateful for them. And also Rich Worth and the folks at JNS Paving for uh, being a part of the show as well. Um, not sure exactly uh, what they do in the winter. We'll try and get with Rich and see if uh, they have kind of a winter business. Um, but <laughs> I know there's not much paving of driveways or uh, whatever while the uh, the snow's flying. So, uh, but do keep them in mind if you need anything like that. Um, please let them know. And again, thanks for listening. That is it for this week. We will be back next week with another edition of the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast and another very special guest as well. Until then, for Camden Proud, who is somewhere in the world right now, uh, and for uh, me, Tom Baker, so long, everybody. Have a safe and blessed weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. 
find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.